Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of your church. We thank you for the love that you have shown us and are displaying to us um, daily. We thank you for the change that you are making in our hearts day by day. We pray that we would yield ourselves to your spirit more and more to be conformed more to the image of your son. We thank you that it's a promise we can cling to. And we have a certain hope that when he returns, we won't be ashamed, but we'll be made like him, for we will see him as he is. We, look, we long for that day. We long for that moment of transformation to be completed. But as we live here, um, as the New Testament authors call it, in, in our exile, in our wilderness, we, we know that we are kept by you. And though we often fail you, um, we know that your spirit works in us to bring us the gift of repentance again and again and the zeal to be holy as you are holy. And so, God, we pray for this time that once again your word would bathe us not only in your mercy but in a commitment to be who we are in Christ. And as we look at these passages today that um, we would get our eyes fixated on the prize, the goal, the upper calling of Christ, and we want to we keep pressing forward. It's in His name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in Numbers 4. <clears throat> By the way, we're in Numbers. Uh, and you can get, get kind of lost in the weeds uh, in studying this book. And I think it's important to kind of see the big picture, the big themes. And the first uh, ten chapters were kind of... I've got lost in the numbers before. Oh. Oh, man, that's just painful. That's, that's what we call punishment. <laughs> okay, so, um, so we, we, we need to see the big themes. And the first ten chapters are kind of the groundwork. I was talking to Tammy this morning. They're really the groundwork of, of what uh, it sets the stage for the type of conflict you see later on in their journey through the wilderness. Um, a good framework to look at, as, uh, to, to have in mind as we look through numbers, is that of a king preparing his people to conquer a land, to go uh, take over a place. And that's exactly what God is doing here. He gives each tribe a, a position. Remember, we talked about that. Chapters 1 and 2, uh, it starts with the census. What are the odds? It's numbers. Um, and so he's, he, he positions them in a place for marching, for camping. He gives them that, that order. Um, he gives them a, a, a priesthood. He structures his kingly court. Who's going to be close to him to serve him? Gives them a priesthood. We see that with what we're going through now with the priests and the Levites. He, he talks to them about a code of conduct. What's the culture that they're going to have as a kingdom? A culture of purity. We'll see that in the, in the coming chapters. And then it's all, it's all surrounded by, or I guess centered on, the fact that he's tabernacling with them. He's present with them. So the king is there. He has a position that he's put his people. He's given them a priesthood. He has a, a, attendants and servants in his, king, in his house. And um, he is calling for them to, to live according to a, a certain code, a certain way of life. All right, so we have position, priesthood, purity, and presence. That is a Baptist way of looking at 
the book of Numbers. So you have in the first 10 chapters those big themes. And our last few discussions have been around the particular care that God has taken to separate out the Levites. You remember there's one tribe that he took. Uh, why did he take? Just rehash this. Why did he take one tribe? What was the, what was the big motif there? What was the deal? He consecrated they, they were consecrated um, as firstborns to him to handle the stuff from the, uh, the temple of the tabernacle. What groundwork was laid to do? You're right. What groundwork was laid to do that? How did he say, because of this, I'm taking the Levites? What Passover was the, in Egypt. The Passover in Egypt. And just what happened there? Well, the, if the firstborn of Egypt were killed since they didn't have the blood over their doors, but the firstborn of Israel were spared. So in return for the sparing of those firstborn, God said, well, you'll be my firstborn substitution. Right. So instead of me taking all of your firstborn to serve me, I'll take one tribe, right? We, we, we use the big theological term redemption. He redeemed the firstborn of Israel out of Egypt and then substituted the Levites for the firstborn of Egypt. That's how that worked. And so now... He, has, he's exclu he excluded them from the military census. Remember the military census? We started right off with this thing. Okay, so he excludes the Levites from that. He presents the Levites to Aaron and the high priest, uh, Aaron the high priest as, as the, his special assistants in the tabernacle work. And he associates sparing them with the, with the whole Passover situation. And then he assigns special duties to the three clans of the Levites, right? And so, although... Like the priests, they go through a kind of an ordination process. We'll see that later in chapter 8. They have special duties within the tabernacle. They're not priests. Even though they have some of the same ideas or functions, they're not priests. Um, and that's a very important thing to remember later on when we get later on into numbers and to some of the, some of the more uh, narrative stuff. Uh, for example, as we'll see today, they're not permitted to touch the holy things. I mean, even though they're traveling the wilderness, the Levites are not permitted to touch the ark, the table, the, the, the menorah, you know, it's Hanukkah kind of thing. So they're not allowed to touch these things. So God provides um, rules and procedures. Stop. I know what you're doing. Uh, now my head's there. Thanks. Uh, he provides rules and procedures. i got to do this parting of the water here. <laughs> he provides rules and procedures for, uh, for handling these things so that the Levites are not touching them, but the priests are, are preparing them to be carried and transported by the Levites. And so that's kind of what we're looking at today. We have the general duties of the families. He goes from general to specific. That's a common theme in Scripture. You see the general ideas and then he gets very detailed in what and what they're to do and so we're looking at the details today which is always fun on Sunday morning after one just one cup of coffee all right so although like the priests they serve within the tabernacle the Levites are not granted the same holy status as the priesthood um, they can't offer sacrifices Levites can't offer sacrifices like priests can so um, all right so he begins in um, wow I just realized something Nope. No, 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 no. That's all not that it. All of that was intro. All that was intro. And here's the deal. Um, hang on, just a second. You ready? So the the theme for today is is order, not chaos. <laughs> and I'm demonstrating it right now. 
repeat the four P's? The four P's are. Throw it down. The four, the four P's are position, priesthood, purity, and presence. Position, priesthood, purity, and presence. All right, so let's look at the duties of the Kohathites. And that's just fun to say. Put it in your wheelhouse, Kohathites. All right. Verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the sons of Levi by their clans and their fathers' houses, from 30 years old up to 50 years old, all who can come on duty to do the work in the tent of meeting. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tent of meeting, the most holy things. When the camp is set out, Aaron and his sons shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on it a covering of goatskin and spread on top of that a cloth all of blue and shall put, it, uh, put in its poles. All right, so let's start there. What's the focus of this second census? What's the focus? What's he doing? The tabernacle service. Tabernacle service. So what, what, remember the census for the military. What was the, what was the big factor there? Remember the age? 20, 20 and over. 20 and up. You're like these 90 year old geezers out there with swords. Mm -hmm. 20, right. This is 30. This is 30 to what? To 50. So there's a 20 year service, right? 30 to 50. Um, why? Why 30? I mean, you're strong at 20. And most of the duties here are just going to be carrying stuff. Why 30? It's more of a, a wisdom and a maturity thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is that a biblical principle that runs throughout? I mean, is that just here? Do we see that elsewhere? Jesus was 30. Jesus was 30? That's exactly where I was going. Excellent. The president has to be over 35. Oh, stop it. <laughs> okay. The, the millennials hadn't come on the scene yet, but generally... There's actually a pre pretty good scientific reason. Okay. Because your brain doesn't fully develop until you're around 25 to 27. So <clears throat> once your brain does fully develop, um, you have to kind of figure all that out and all that kind of stuff. So. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Some of us are slower than others. I think mine's still working <laughs> on it. Some of us are definitely slower than others. Some, I am, I am, I am uh, I'm still working on myself. But, um, but yes, 30 is generally thought to be a time when you've kind of knocked off all the childishness. As we saw this past week, after 30, people are more mature, more thoughtful. What are you talking about? Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Um, that's, that's generally the idea. 30, because of what they're doing is very... Um, it's, it, it, takes, it takes some concentration, right? It takes some maturity and not to be silly with holy things. Right. They're probably less inclined to have fights with... Right. Let's, they're not throwing showbread at each other, right? right? They don't want to do all that. <laughs> Which is what... We would have done in our 20s and 15, 16, whatever. Matthew Henry comments that a man may make a good soldier much sooner than a good minister. Do we see that principle in the New Testament when we talk about leadership in the church? 
What does Paul talk to Timothy about? Pointing elders. Find the youngest guy you can. That way you can be there the longest. Not being a novice. Not being a novice. Not being a new convert. Not being a new convert. And that's not necessarily an age thing as much as it is a Christian maturity thing, right? Because Timothy was... Because, yeah, right. he wasn't, uh, common wisdom hmm, was that he wasn't 30, but, but there's a maturity in the faith that comes from being in it a while, going through some stuff, having to be humbled, having to have some adversity. You know, it, um, having, culturally today, we avoid problems. We don't want to feel bad. That hurts my feelings. I don't know how to deal with it. That's, we avoid that stuff. But the psalmist says, it was good for me to have affliction that I might learn your law. It was good for me to have affliction. It was good for me to go through trial that I might love your ways. We seek to avoid that. You don't mature without getting hit with some stuff. And that takes time. And so they're, they're, the, the general principle here is that you want guys who are dealing with holy things to be a little bit more, well, mature, right? So God allowed for 30 to, 30 to 50. Later we'll see that in, in 8.24 that he allowed kind of a probationary period at 25. They weren't fully invested in the temple or tabernacle service, but they had a probationary period because there was a lot of work and they needed people. Kind of, so he made provision for that. In David's time, the, provi- the probationary period was at 20. Wasn't a full Levite, didn't have all the duties, was under a lot of people, a lot of supervision, but they were at 20 to help with the work. So, I mean, there's, there's ways to, to deal with it, but the general principle is for this culture, 30 was generally thought to be the maturity, the age of maturity. Now, 50 is the new 30, so maybe we've got some things going there. At least that's what I'm hoping. All right, so John the Baptist, like you said, uh, and Jesus both started their public ministries at 30, kind of in keeping with this idea. Um, I, I've heard some, nobody here, uh, but I've heard arguments that, uh, you know, new, new converts, whatever, hey, I, I, I feel called to preach or I feel called to lead or whatever. And I, and, you know, I or others have brought this up to them and they, well, Spurgeon was 19. You're not Spurgeon, right? Nobody's Spurgeon. Get over it. Just do what it says. Be mature. Go through some stuff and, and, uh, and let's move on. All right. So he starts in verse four with the duties of the Kohathites. In chapter three, it's interesting. He started with the, the, the duty of the Gershonites. Why, why do you think he makes this switch? What are the Kohathites about to do? What is he about to give them? What's their duty? Work in the tent of meeting. Work in the tent of meeting doing what? The most holy things. The most holy things. So we see again this kind of structure. Go with what's most important to what's generally considered the least important. So he switches the clans around and has the Kohathites going first. The general category of their duties is the most holy things. They're to carry the most holy objects of the tabernacle. And there's two ways to look at this. What happens? To, well, let's read through it. Let's, and then we'll, we'll see this. When the camp is to set out, Aaron and his sons shall go in and take down. That's verse 5. When the camp is, set out, is to set out, Aaron and his sons shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then... 
They shall put on it a covering of goat skin and spread on top of that, uh, of that a cloth of all blue and shall put in its poles. Verse 7. And over the table of the bread of the presence they shall spread a cloth of blue and put on it the plates, the dishes for incense, the bowls and the flagons for the drink offering. The regular showbread also shall be on it. Then they shall spread over them a cloth of scarlet and cover the same with a covering of goat skin and shall put in its poles. Now, verse 9, And they shall take a cloth of blue and cover the lampstand for the light with its lamps, its tongs, its trays, and all the vessels for oil with which it is supplied. And they shall put it with all its utensils in a covering of goat skin and put it on the carrying frame. And over the golden altar they shall spread a cloth of blue and cover it with a covering of goat skin and shall put in its poles. And they shall take all the vessels of the service that are used in the sanctuary and put them in a cloth of blue and cover them with a covering of goat skin and put them on the carrying frame. And they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it and they shall put on it all the utensils of the altar which are used for the service there, the fire pans, the forks, the shovels, and the basins, all the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread on it a covering of goat skin and shall put in its poles. And when Aaron and his sons have finished the covering, the sanctu- finished covering of the sanctuary as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Koath shall come to carry these. But they, sh- but they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. And we'll stop there for, for a little bit. Um, so, why do you think that he would put the Kohathites first? They're dealing with the holy things. What is involved in that? What, what kind of station does that put you, dealing with these most holy things? What do you think? Honor, dishonor. Honor. Honor. I mean, it's a big deal to carry the Ark of the Covenant, right? It's a big deal. What's also at stake? Your life. It's a little bit more dangerous than carrying tent pegs. (laughs) Right? I mean, the other guys get curtains and tent pegs. These guys are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the table. They're not to see it. They're not to touch it. Ask Uzzah. Right? Remember that with David? They're not to see it. They're not to touch it. What's going on here? What has God put in place to, to, to keep them alive? What does he do? Goat skin. Goat skin coverings. Who's doing that? The priests are doing that, right? Their duty is to protect those who are serving in the tabernacle. That's the point of this. Well, a point of this. There's many points of this. But as far as the priests go, your job is to protect the guys who are serving you. Your job is to protect the people who are serving, who are volunteer, well, who are conscripted at this point. From a church standpoint, what's the duty of ministers? Right? To protect the most holy things. What's the most holy thing in church context? The The word? What else? Yeah? Doctrine, right? Doctrine and life? Orthodoxy, orthopraxy? We talk with big $10 words we can use at our next party. <laughs> orthodoxy, what we believe that's standard. Orthopraxy, how we live it out. 
the duty of a minister is to protect and to guard those things so that they're not mishandled by those who are maybe untrained or learning or, or those kinds of things to make a shipwreck of their souls, as Paul would say. We don't, that's the goal. That should be the heart. It's not, watch me come in on a zip line. Look how cool I am. <coughs> it's not to inject personal cultural things in there that, that make us easy with the culture. Maybe we should unhook the Old Testament from the New Testament. Be easier if we did that. A, a minister, a leader in the church is supposed to be about protecting what we guard and keep is the duty of the priest, right? That's true in the leadership of the church. That's true in our own lives. Husbands and fathers are supposed to protect their house, guard and keep their house. What's taught? How's it lived out? Is it taught? Right? Don't just shove all that off onto the church and make sure the youth pastor is doing what all, you know. We don't do that. These, these are the things that are warp and woof of what we do. This is the core of how we live. Guarding and keeping what is right, good, right, and true, and beautiful. Beautiful, good, and true. Is that the three? I don't know. It's a thing. Um, and it's to live it out. Not only, you know, applying the rod of correction whenever it needs to happen, but also being an example of how to do that. that that's, the, that's the call of the leadership in the church. And you see that kind of symbolically here. What are they doing? The ark, how are they, how are they protecting the Levites from certain death, from looking at or, or touching the ark? What are they doing? They're covering it up multiple times. They're covering up how many times? Multiple, and at least two for this one. Three? Three, yep, three. There's, there's a, there's a, oh, yeah, the, cloth. the cloth, then there's the goat skin, then there's a, the, the last cloth that it's described as all of blue in the ESV. Others would say a pure blue cloth, as some translations would say that. It's a very, um, it's a symbol of, 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 of great honor. It's the only furnishing that has that kind of last covering of pure blue cloth. The table has three cloths as well, but it's of a lesser quality blue on the top. What does that tell you about the ark? It's the most important one. It's the most holy one. And it's clearly identified, be careful with this one. Yeah. Right? There was, a, there was a French archaeologist that learned that. I'm just kidding. That's not true. That's a total joke. <laughs> Don't look at it, Marion. Anyway, that was where, you know. So, there was a serious thing going on with that guy's head. Um, so you, you have this, this important piece, this most holy piece, that is covered by something clearly identified. With the table. What's the table? Now, see, we went through all of this stuff with, in Exodus. And, and some of the guys that were with me then are breaking out in a cold sweat because we went through all this in real detail. There was a table of showbread, it's called, or the pre bread of the presence. What was that all about from our friends from the north? Canada. What was, the, what was on the, what was, why do we have bread on the table? What was that all about? Represent the manna. Okay. A thankfulness of what God did in the wilderness. Okay. And there's all these utensils, there's plates, there's cups, there's all this kind of stuff for, for the, the service of the meal, right? It was kind of a, a nod toward communion. Didn't the priests eat it? The priests ate the bread. And then they also had the drink offering that came with that, all of those uh, utensils. And they changed it out how often? Do you remember? 
I want to say a week, but that sounds too long. I thought it was longer than that. I thought, I think it's a week. It's, it's like a seven-day deal. I, I'm trying to remember myself. I forgot to look that. Yeah. Twelve freshly baked loaves of bread were placed on the table each Sabbath by priests. Yeah. So every Sabbath, twelve. Why twelve loaves? Interestingly. Why? Yes. Yeah. So each each tribe gets a loaf. It's, you, you ration when you're in the wilderness. Um, but that's all symbolic of God's provision for each tribe, right? And they're to cover that with. They, they put a cloth down, they put the utensils on, put a red cloth over the top, and then a, a, a less ornate or less pure blue cloth over that. So you have the table there. Um, it's the only one that got a red cloth, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the only one. Yes. Well, I don't know if we want to read too much into that, but yes, it is. Um, all of the objects, all the other objects have a covering of goat skin on the outside, but the ark and the table have these blue claws on the top. And some, some translations say that the goat skin is actually porpoise skin. You see, yeah, I've seen that. We, the word's uncertain. We don't know. It's an animal skin or something. Either land or sea, animal, I'm, guess, I'm guessing. Okay, that'll work too. I have the new living and it says pleather. A <laughs> lot, lot, lot of Nagas died for these coverings. Um, so, so you have these two pieces are covered and are kind of set apart as the first and the second most holy pieces. Um, all right. What's next? The table, the bread presence is covered with the, the blue cloth. All the utensils are on it. It's covered with the scarlet cloth. Um, then, then the next piece is, is what? After the table. The lampstand. What, what was the big deal with the lampstand? Remember the theme behind the lampstand? Why do we have a menorah in there? Do you remember? The Saints. God being the light of the world was, was the first fundamental principle. But yes, there was the whole spirit issue in there. Um, I commend you to Exodus whenever we talk that through. We'll go through that stuff. But, but yes, it was the, the light of the, God is the light of the world. And so you have an issue here. How are they carrying this thing? Exactly. With a carrying train. Yeah, carrying train. Nobody knows what that looks like. Nobody knows how they did that. They're just kind of, okay, there's some kind of frame, there's some kind of deal. They put the poles in it, that's all we know. That's all we know. So there it is. And the altar and everything else on it as well. Yeah, well, they have, yes, they have, they have a, uh, <laughs> uh, some kind of frame that they put the altars and the, and the menorah on, or are they separate? I think they're separate carrying frames for each one. All right, we got the two altars. They're packing up these two altars. One is for the golden incense altar that sits before the veil of the holy place, and this is 11 through 14. And the second altar is the bronze altar located in the, uh, in, in the outer courtyard. Um, Let's look. Do we? Let's see what we got here. And over the golden altar, verse eleven, they shall spread a cloth of blue and cover it with a covering of goat skin or porpoise skin or however you want to <laughs> pleather, whatever your translation would say, and shall put it in its poles. And they shall take all the vessels of the service that are used in the sanctuary and put them in a cloth of blue and cover them with a covering of goat skin and put them on the carrying frame. And they shall take away the ashes from the altar and spread a purple cloth over it. And they shall put on it 
all the utensils of the altar which are used for the service there, the fire pans, the forks, the shovels, and the basins, and all the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread on it a covering of goatskin and shall put in its poles. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out after that, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. So they've got these two altars that they're packing. The second altar is a bronze altar. The incense altar is covered by a blue cloth, while the bronze altar is covered by purple. Apparently blue is more important than purple. Just remember that as you're buying clothes. It's also always better. All right, so... After all this, after all, what is that? Well, there, there is, we can talk about that another time. Um, after all, who's doing all this? Aaron and his sons. So the great real estate of this passage is what the priesthood is doing to do what? To protect and prepare. To protect and prepare the Kohathites to do their job of carrying the stuff. Their whole job is carrying the stuff. But notice how much order and precision and instruction goes into making detailed ways of protecting the people who are going to be doing this, the, the heavy lifting, so to speak. Yeah, go ahead. How often did they move? How, how often did they have to do all this? Sometimes, well, you, uh, I don't know if we said this at the beginning. I think he's talked about this yet, but the, 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 the cloud by day, the fire by the flame by night. Every day? Sometimes it would move and set for a week, sometimes a month, sometimes you know longer, sometimes a day or two. It was very it was just whenever God moved, they had to do this. It's like Carmen and Pineco. <laughs> so in the story of Uzzah, the priests were the ones who fell down on their duty. Right. They did not prepare the ark properly to be moved. Right, and the Levites. I mean, obviously he was responsible for right. that, but the priests were the ones who had not protected. Right, exactly. The, the, the priests did not do their duty, and, and David chomps on them for that. Um, you're supposed to know this. And they didn't do it, and so a man died. Um, all right, all of this real estate here is priesthood work. And then you get to what the Kohathats are to do, which is to just move the stuff. All right. Ultimately, the oversight of all three of the Levite families falls to Eleazar. Um, but protecting the Levites, or protecting the Kohathites in verses 17 and 18, from even seeing the holy objects is of paramount importance lest they die. Here's the, here's the takeaway. The absolute holiness of God is to be maintained symbolically through the maintenance of the sanctity of those things that serve to worship Him. The absolute holiness of God is to be maintained symbolically through the maintenance of the sanctity of those things that serve to worship Him. If we're not guarding the stuff, guarding the stuff displays a maintenance of the holiness of God, how we treasure God. What they're doing is displaying He's holy, and we're, main, and we're trying to, to preserve that and show that and how we handle the stuff that's used to worship Him. All right, stick a pin in that.
Duties of the Gershonites and the Merites, verse 21 through 33. Let's look at that. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take a census of the sons of Gershon also by their fathers' houses and by their clans from 30 years old up to 50 years old. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Okay. You shall list them, all who can come to do duty, to do service in the tent of meeting. This is the service of the clans of the Gershonites. So if I'm a Gershonite, my ears are, are you know, Kohathites are about to die. What's my job, right? So Gershonites, in serving and bearing burdens, they shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tent of meeting with its covering and the covering of goatskin that is on top of it and the screens for the entrance of the tent of meeting and the hangings of the court and the screens for the entrance of the gate of the court that is around the tabernacle and the altar and their cords and all the equipment for their service. And they shall do all that needs to be done with regard to them. All the service of the sons of the Gershonites shall be at the command of Aaron and his sons and all that they are to carry and all that they have to do and you shall assign to their charge all that they are to carry. This is the service of the clans of the sons of the Gershonites in the tent of meeting and their guard duty is to be under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. A couple of things here. He next moves to the Gershonites and their specific duties. Census in place, yes? Same, same idea, 30 to 50. What's their duty? Carry everything else. Carry everything else, and all that needs to be done to do that. Carry everything else. The tabernacle, the structure. Okay. What does it say? Probably shall carry the curtains um, and the tent of meeting with its coverings. So they're working on fabric. Yeah. They're the, they're. Okay. So what they do is they're to take down all the curtains from the inside. They're to, they're to take down all the curtains on the outside. They're to fold them in a triangular pattern. Right? No, I'm kidding. Doesn't say that. <laughs> they're to take care of them by folding everything, keeping it all together. And apparently they needed two carts and, and, and some oxen to do this because it's a lot of curtains. They're over the curtains. Let that sink in. You're given the life job, the goal, after the Kohathites, you just got, they got the ark, the table, the, all this, we get the curtains. <laughs> but you don't have the, uh, you know, death. Right. There is that. So, you know, with some guys who are a little bit more ambitious, it might have been, oh man, I wanted the ark. But the guys who are smart go, Whew. Curtains aren't so bad. I'll take a curtain, right? <laughs> but that's what they're given, the curtains. I bring this out because later on this becomes an issue. Levites fighting with their duties and how important they need to be. And this, this becomes a, a, a basically a basis for rebellion later on in chapter 13, I think. 13, 16, somewhere around there. But this is what they're given. Their duty is to take down and pack the curtains, to transport the curtains of the tabernacle. Um... And we see again in verse 29, As for the sons of Merari, you shall list them by their clans and their fathers' houses from 30 years old and up to 50 years old. You shall list them, everyone who can come on duty to do the service of the tent of meeting. And this is what they are charged to carry, as the whole of their service in the tent of meeting. As the whole of their service in the tent of meeting. Let that ring. This is their duty as, clans of, as a clan of Levi. 
their lifelong for generation after generation this is their duty the frames of the tabernacle with its bars pillars and bases and the pillars around the court with their bases pegs and cords with all their equipment and all their accessories and you shall list by name the objects that they are required to carry this is the service of the clans of the sons of merari the whole of their service in the tent of meeting under the direction of ithamar the son of aaron the priest what are they to do the merari the merarites <clears throat> they're to do what all the the structure the structural stuff the bones of it the bones of it right the pillars the little bases so so you're hearing you're hearing the commands as a Merariite, first of all you got to get your name right you're hearing your commands what what do you what's the response what we our job is the tent pegs the bases. Do they have to build it too? They have to have all of the structure, all the tools of uh, to disassemble and reassemble and to carry. You've got to have knowledge though. You've got to have knowledge. There's some, there's some skill involved in constructing a thing. There's some skill involved in keeping curtains. I mean, there's some, you know, if you're, if you're, you got to know how to weave things. They could watch a YouTube video. No. Not so much. Service is horrible in the Sinai Desert. <laughs> You're going to say, okay. So they have to have some skill on how to do this stuff. But as far as ranking of importance, on the surface, what do you think? Would this be a job that you would clamor for? Hard work. It's hard work, and they're the smallest of the clans, right? That's a big job. It's a mundane job, but it's a big job. But they're the smallest of the clans. All right. They're there to be numbered, even though there is less sanctity attached to their duties than the other two clans. Their duties are simply to disassemble, assemble the framework of the tabernacle, pack and unpack it, and transport it. Each, of, each item, this is, I find this fascinating, each item is to be assigned a name. <laughs> that pillar has a name. That base... I, I want to think that they got that little colored electrical tape, you know, and kind of to, to be able to match things up, the Garanimals way to match up a tent. So you have, you have this, everything is organized, everything is named, everything is given its position, and these guys are responsible to do it, to set up the tabernacle. They want the tabernacle set up as quick as possible whenever they, you know, drop anchor. So these guys have got to be on it. The, all of this stuff is carried on four carts led by eight oxen. So it's a lot of stuff. Four U-Hauls, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Look at verse 34. And Moses and Aaron and the chiefs of the congregation listed the sons of the Kohathites by their clans and their father's houses from 35, 30 years old up to 50 years old for the service in the tent of meeting. Uh, everyone who would come to duty for the service in the tent of meeting. And those listed by clans were 2750. This was the list of the clans of the Kohathites, all who served in the tent of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron listed according to the commandment of the Lord of Moses. So they did it. God commanded it. They did it, right? The Kohathites got 2750. Those listed of the sons of Gershon by their clans and their fathers' houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old, everyone who could come on duty for service in the tent of meeting, those listed by their clans and their fathers' houses were 2630. God commanded it. They did it. That's the number, 2630. You are now assigned curtain duty. 
This was a list of the clans of the sons of Gershon, all who served in the tent of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron listed according to the commandment of the Lord. Those listed of the clans of the sons of Merari by their clans and their fathers' houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old, everyone who could come on duty for service in the tent of meeting, those listed by clans were 3,200 for the tent bases and pegs and pillars. This was a list of the clans of the son of, sons of Merari, whom Moses and Aaron listed according to the commandment of the Lord by Moses. God commanded it. They did it. All those who were listed of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron and the chiefs of Israel listed by their clans and their fathers' houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old, everyone who could come to do the service of ministry and the service of bearing burdens in the tent of meeting, those listed were 85-80. According to the commandment of the Lord, through Moses they were listed, each one with his task of serving and carrying. Thus they were listed by him as the Lord commanded Moses. So finally the author records the fulfillment of the commands of Moses and the priests, Psalm 85-80. Incidentally, who has the greatest number of workers? What's that? The framework people. Their smallest clan, and they got the most workers. Um, Matthew Henry makes the point here that, that they had the heaviest burden to do with all this stuff. But the smallest clan... Henry notes that whatever God calls you to, he equips you for. Right? Interesting there. So note here the themes of orderliness and holiness that are demonstrated. Even the process of breaking down the tabernacle for transportation, there's an order to it. God is a God of order, not chaos. The tabernacle elements were disassembled and prepared for travel in a certain way by certain people with certain guidelines to do certain things, right? The priests covered the sacred objects and then the Kohathites carried them. The Gershonites and the Merarites labeled the parts they were responsible for and cared for the, the dismantling and reassembling in structured order. Each facet is addressed and organized by God and executed by the Levites. From the most sacred to the most mundane, each job is vital and each effort is holy. What does he call them at the end? Those who are ready to work, come to work, to what? To minister and to serve. Got it. Okay, you're going to minister and to serve. That's right. But when I'm 51, I don't have to help church people move anymore. That's... <laughs> hey, just remember that corpus leather is clutter. That's right. And sell your truck at 51. Because if you have a truck, you have the gift of moving. <laughs> so... No longer have that spiritual gift. God, God is not a God. God is not a God of chaos, but of order. Peace in Hebrew, shalom. You've heard this. Peace be with you. It has the idea of order, not just a warm, cozy feeling. It's it's a, the idea of order and structure. Um, the absolute holiness of God is to be maintained symbolically through the maintenance of the sanctity of those things that serve to worship Him. Paul encourages Christians to present their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Romans 12, 1. There are to be implements of holiness that should remain undefiled. Peter also urged Christians to be holy, purified by obeying the truth instead of being conformed to the evil desires of this world. That's in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 23. 
he ends that in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Again, the goal is to order our lives even in the mundane things. The, the, the kicker is, in our view, the guys who are doing the curtains are less important than the guys who are carrying the ark. Right? But you don't have an ark that can be used without the curtains. It's got to be covered. The tabernacle has to be set up for the ark to be even used. You, you take off the covering, people die. Right? So the, their job is important. You don't have curtains that are functional without a framework to set them on top of. So the guys that have the, the pillars and the bases and all that stuff, it's incredibly important. It may not be the coolest or most dangerous living on the edge job, mm -hmm. but it's vitally important. We don't have one without the other. The church is set up the same way. Everybody has gifts and callings, and all of us are given certain structural things that we do. We're to submit humbly to the call of God in our lives and what He's equipped us to do, recognizing that there's, there is holiness there is sanctity or sacredness and even the mundane, what we consider mundane. All of life, whether you eat or drink or anything, do it all to the glory of God. That's the call of the New Testament. And the, this is a picture of that. These guys, their whole life, I have curtain work. That's what I do. But I'm going to do it the best I can do. Make sure my needles are sharp and ready to go. Whenever we get a ripper and tear on a traveling, you know, the, I don't know. You have things you got to take care of. You got to be good at it. You, you, you work at your craft and the talents that God has given you humbly. He gave me this task to do church nursery or church whatever. Or, I mean, I think of the wardens who, who consistently prepare the, the, the communion meal. That all the little cups and all the little crackers that we do as Baptists, that, that is done every Sunday by a team that. I didn't know they were on it until maybe a year ago, but they've done it faithfully. That's a structural thing. Um, the, the, the workers in the back of the nursery, I mean, how many diapers? Those things can kill you. That, that's more like Ark of the Covenant work with those things. <laughs> but that's a gift that they have and a service that they give to the church that helps the thing function. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what we're, we're called to do. All right. Anything else? Any comments, questions, fruit to be thrown? Next week, uh, we get into some, uh, some, some interesting, the Nazarite vow, I think, and then also an, an adultery test, which is always fun in our current climate to talk about when a man can accuse his wife of adultery. Yes? I'm wondering about the goat skins, honestly. Like, the what? The goat skins? Yeah, goat skins, because it's like, it says the goat skins that were covering the tent of meeting, so it's like goats are small. Even a skin of, of a cow or what be it, a porpoise what be it. Um, <laughs> it's a sea cow. Yeah, yeah, a sea cow. I mean, how does it cover the entire... It wouldn't be a, a whole bunch of skin of a singular goat. It, it a is a goat skin. A goat is They had one goat called Bill. <laughs> it, was, it was a really big, the big guy. They don't Big get like they used to. They don't. He's, he was a mountainous goat. So, um, yeah, so no, it was, it was several. They, they, they probably sew them together. They saw, yeah, they sewn together. And, and you have to have very thick skin to do. Oh, no, no. Not good. We should probably pray.
Yeah, let's get, let's do that. Thank you for for getting us on track there, Jeff. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the gifts and callings that you've given us that are without repentance, that you have called us individually, but you've called us into a body and you've set us to work. You've given us a position. You've given us um, you've given us a, a, a priesthood to care over. Um, you've called us to be priests to care over the holy things that you've, you've given to us uh, individually and corporately. Um, thank you for those that you've gifted to do the various services and things around the body of Christ to make the mission um, an easier burden to bear. The, the fields are white and to harvest, but the laborers are few. And so, Lord, as you've organized your church um, to be an efficient community, I pray that we would be um, conscious of that and more submissive to what you've called us to do and how to how to do it rightly and, and without chaos, but with much order. Thank you for your direction and your, and your care over your people with this. And we pray that as we go to the next service that much will be made of Jesus um, and that we would uh, see him honored again today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.